Hey, what's going on, champs? I'm Erin Deliosa. Welcome to an Immigrant's Life podcast. My podcast about immigrants and immigration and everything in between. Thank you for listening and downloading the show. And thank you for supporting my dad. Welcome back, Immigrant Nation. Another week, another new episode. And just like that, February is done. How's 2023 so far for you? To be honest, 2023 for me has been pretty amazing and I'm pretty grateful for it. Speaking of grateful, I am grateful for you joining us here on the podcast. I hope your 2023 is also starting great and I hope it continues. I say it every week. I'd appreciate it if you could join the Immigrant Nation by subscribing to the podcast wherever you're listening to an Immigrant's Life podcast. And you can also join us by following our social media accounts. Our handle is at an immigrant's life. And lastly, if you or someone you know wants to be a guest on the podcast, reach out to our social media accounts, as I've mentioned just now, or email us at an immigrant's life at yahoo.com. Let's connect and let's tell your beautiful story. That's the biz. Now, let's talk about the episode. Our guest and I had such a wonderful and insightful conversation in this episode. We got deep, a lot therapy session, but also I enjoyed listening to her because she's such a great storyteller. And if you're thinking of starting your own business, you have to listen to her story on how she launched her company in such a clever way, and I love it. I'm so excited for you to listen to this episode, so let me get to the point. Without further ado, let's get into the show. Isa dalawa tatlo. Today's guest is a video content creator that will hype you to turn up while tutoring you how to make a viral video. Everyone, please welcome Afwali Mwakum. Hello, thank you for having me. Oh, it's an honor. Thank you for coming on to the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Of course. Why don't you tell the Immigrant Nation where they can reach you or if you want to promote anything? I'd say you can find me on almost all social media platforms as underscore Afwali. So that's underscore A-F-O-A-L-I. And I don't have anything to promote, just maybe something to share with you. So if you come and you find me on those platforms, hopefully you'll see a piece of content <laughs> that teaches you something new and encourages you to start telling your story through video. Mm, I love your content, man. I, I always wait for it. And it teaches me so much about, because I do like photography too. Not much mm -hmm. video, but the things that you teach is, are very basic, but it's so helpful. Yeah. Um, What's interesting is there's so many people in this industry, as in, in the creation industry, mm -hmm. specifically motion pictures, so videos and then just pictures. And because there's so many of us, it gets very, 
I wouldn't say competitive, but it's very easy for us as the creators to hype ourselves up by showing the most complicated things, showing the most eccentric gear. And there was a time where I was really into that. And a piece of me still is. But at the same time, I think of who I was when I first started and all I wanted was someone to show me how to turn on the camera. So <laughs> every time I I create a piece of content, I'm like, okay, yes, it'd be cool to flex on people online, but mm. what does the, what do people actually need? So that's why it's basic. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like a woman said once, ain't nobody got the time for that. <laughs> yes, that's right. Ain't nobody got time for the flex. You know, you know, I mean, it's awesome. It, it's great that you could teach me how to do an aperture properly, lighting properly. But, dude, just tell me how to turn on the camera and how to shoot. Yeah, and then eventually we'll work up to the aperture and the lighting. And I hope that um, over time, that's how people who choose to join me on this journey will grow. So we'll start with the very basics, but then over time we add on layers. So we start with just using your phone and then we're like, oh, let's buy our first camera. Let's buy our first lens. Let's look at how do we invest in lighting, sound. And then over the course of the journey together, like Mm. we'll start telling higher quality stories in terms of the quality of the image. Mm, Definitely. Before we get into more geek stuff, which I love. Yes. (laughs) I read about you and... I found out that you grew up in seven different countries. How is that possible? You move between every year and every four years from oh the ages God. of one to seven, no, four to seven. So I'm originally from Cameroon. My father is a doctor by trade, but about 10 years into his career, no, it was more, it was like 15 years into his career, he kind of transitioned to more of an NGO type of job. And that's where the traveling kind of fell into his life and subsequently into my life and my siblings' lives. Mm-hmm. So every year to every four years, he'd be like, okay, guys, we're going to another country. So we started in Cameroon and then we moved to Mali, which is still on the African continent. Mm-hmm. We moved to Chad, we moved to Haiti, which is in the Caribbean. We moved to Angola, Mozambique, where which are Lusophone countries. So I got to learn Portuguese in those countries. Mm. And then we moved to Madagascar. And then, of course, I was born in Cameroon, which is the seventh country. But um, now I'm in Canada. <laughs> how, how did you take that growing up? Like, were you okay with it or you always like rebel against it? At a younger age, you're not really aware of what's happening. Hmm. So granted, there's a bit of discomfort because you go into a new environment, you're around new people, but you're not as emotionally attached to the things around you and you don't have a very conscious sense of self, right? Hmm. So let's say until the age I was of 14, it didn't really bother me. I was like, okay, we're moving. This I'm used to this. Let's just go to someone new. Like It's <laughs> kind of exciting. You meet new people, new teachers. Yay. <laughs> But then once you hit 14, 15, 16, you're like, whoa, wait a minute. Like, I like my friends here, you know? (laughs) I'm starting to, like, have my crew and, like, have my routines. So at first, it's easy-ish. Then as you get older, it gets harder. Mm -hmm. Because you're trying to start trying to look for your people. That's right. You're trying to look for a sense of home, of belonging. Mm -hmm. Um, Whether it's in the people who are around you or in the spaces that you you inhabit in your day-to-day life but if that is always changing you have to start from scratch and then on top of that you're going into new cultures where there's new languages so you may walk into a school where 
everybody speaks a language that you don't speak. So you're mm. literally like in a bubble <laughs> and you have to fight because you know, if you don't speak this language within six months, you don't understand anything that's happening around you, mm. but um, it makes you adaptable. I'm very, I'm grateful for the experience overall. Mm. Did you get bullied a lot? There were moments, depending on the school. <laughs> mm -hmm. But yeah. not inconsistent. I wouldn't consider myself someone that was bullied. That's not that's not a term I identify with. Hmm. Yeah. It was just difficult at the, that start. But you're always, I feel like you're an outgoing person anyway. So that helps. I mean, we don't know each other very well yet. Hmm. but And we're also just two people here. Hmm. I would say when one-on-one -on -one conversations... Um, Like I, I, I enjoy them because it's just me and one person, but in bigger crowds and bigger groups, it's a little bit overwhelming for me. I personally spend a lot of time alone, like here mm. creating things I enjoy. And then if I'm around people, I'm very mindful of the people who I'm around because um, it, it affects me a lot. Yep. You and me, homie. Yep. Yep. I understand. You don't you don't hang out outside a lot. Oh, I hate groups. <laughs> If it's yeah. more than three people, it's rough. However, I I have this switch in my mind that if it's party, I'll party. Mm, yeah, you know? I don't like when it's a sit down um, setting. Let's say a restaurant. You know, there is no conversation happening, and I don't like that. I guess it depends on the but on the group of people that you're with, because I'd like to believe that maybe I've just not found found my people, and maybe you've just not found your people. Who oh, I found my people. Being, oh, okay. I live with okay. them. My kids. <laughs> my bad. <laughs> but I so I take it back. For me, I'm like maybe I've just not found my people yet, and mm. I'll find people who, whether we're in a restaurant just sitting down or at a party. And we're in a group of that with, with those people, like it feels good. But for now, I, I like being alone. alone and spending time with my family. Them, I, I really enjoy spending time with me. How about friends? I have friends, definitely. Mm -hmm. um, I would say the friends that I feel most comfortable with are people that I've known for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, like, like 10 years plus. And then there's newer friends who've come into my life, but... It's one of two things. Like, there's people who I've just met who I absolutely love because we're meeting ourselves in this point in our lives, right? So there's no baggage. Hmm. You, you, I don't know if you see what I mean. When you meet oh, someone 100%. new, you're like, this is it's a tabula rasa. It's a blank slate, you know? <laughs> come as you are and I come as I am. Whereas hmm. when it's that, that like, people you met in an awkward phase and you're, like, transitioning, <laughs> it's a bit, like, there's baggage, you know? I still love them, but it's like, wow. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Do you still stay in touch with your high school friends if you even have like high school friends? Some of them, yeah. Um, mm. By connected, I would say we follow each other on social media. That's a majority of them. And then there's mm. a few who we actually have conversations. And then there's mm. others who I see at least once every three months. Like these are people that I live in the same city with and I'm grateful to have a relationship with. Mm -hmm. That's the best, you know, like you're meeting someone like, And you feel like you've known them for so long. Yeah. You know, 
Like, oh, you know my crazy. Yeah, yeah. But it depends as well, you know. I I like I like I like having people around me or having people in my life who I can share moments with who know that old me. Hmm. But I also appreciate it when those people can can grow. Hmm. And we can grow together and we can acknowledge the growth in one another without wanting to consistently remind each other of that old self. Hmm. considering the fact that you're working really hard to grow and better yourself as a person. Hmm. So the ones that I have in my life, I'm really grateful for because we not only know each other for so long and we know that crazy, you know, those old times <laughs> where we did really weird things, but we also see each other growing and we appreciate that growth that we see in one another. Mm. Yeah, that's beautiful. You moved to Montreal in 2014. Why did you choose Canada? I'm gonna keep it 100 with you. <laughs> I just had to apply to university. Um, and the universities that accepted me, amongst them, there were universities in Canada. And the degree that I chose at the time was translation from French to English. So the logical thing to do or the the best thing for me to do was to go to a space where I could practice the languages that I'd be speaking and, and and learning in my degree. So I chose Canada and specifically Montreal because it's in the French-speaking province of Canada, but there's also a lot of English-speaking people and mm. English-speaking schools, mm. which is the school that I chose called Concordia. That's why I'm here. There's no... I didn't know anybody who was here before then, and they accepted me. So I was like, I bet I'm here. <laughs> Did you know Montreal before or it's just a place in your head? I didn't, I didn't know Montreal before. And you know what's crazy? Celine Dion is from here. You know <laughs> yeah. Celine Dion? Yeah, everybody And knows that, that lives in Quebec. I didn't know that. You know when I found that out? I hmm. found that out in 2020. Because I had to make a video about Celine Dion and I was like, wait a minute. She's from here? <laughs> That's just to tell you how much I didn't know about Montreal. Did anyone hit you in the head saying like, I didn't really, yeah. I didn't I didn't say it out loud. I think it's only now that I'm comfortable <laughs> saying it out loud. <laughs> That's so fun. She's the girl, you know, like the Quebecois. Listen, okay. Let me be honest with you too. I didn't yes. know she's from exactly from Montreal. I knew she's from like a small town in Quebec. Mm -hmm. But, you know, but I knew she's from Quebec. I, I didn't. I didn't. I wish I knew you back then so you could have put me on, but it's all good. You love Montreal? I do. I do when it's not snowing. <laughs> well, you know, it's either that or earthquake or civil war. I'll take snow, right? Any day. What do you love about Montreal? I love... The weather when it's summertime. <laughs> I love the access to different spaces and opportunities. Mm -hmm. I love what it's given me as a person, like how much it's allowed me to grow. Um, just the ease with which I'm able to decide to 
learn a certain thing, meet a certain group of people is something that I didn't have where I was coming from, which was Madagascar. Hmm. So those are things I really love about Montreal. That aside, I really love how multicultural it is. There's all kinds of people from all over the world. There's all kinds of restaurants. Hmm. There's all kinds of events to celebrate those people. It's the grass is green here because I've chosen to water it. That's that's <laughs> how I feel about Montreal. <laughs> I love that. I love what you said there. The grass is green here because I chose to water it. I love it because you know most immigrants they don't they move, but they're stuck with the thought of, oh my country's better than this. I understand that, especially if they have lived in that country all their life before they came to wherever they immigrated. I, I completely understand that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, For sure. I guess it's maybe because I didn't stay in one place. Hmm. for so long so i don't necessarily have a country or a place that i consider home hmm. low-key montreal is home for me now and, and when when i think of where have i lived the most where do i feel the most autonomy where do i know like do i have a sense of self it's hmm. montreal so maybe that's why i feel that way that being said i'm not gonna live in montreal forever <laughs> when are you planning to move um by his grace, in the next two years, I can start spending a minimum of six months outside of Montreal, preferably on the African continent. Hmm. That's that's the goal for me. That's beautiful. That's a great goal. Speaking of home, yeah. how do you define home? I don't know yet, to be honest. Hmm. Like... I kind of touched on what I, I'm starting to frame as my definition of home, but I don't think I found what for me is like, this means home. Hmm. So for now, it's a space where I feel myself. I feel present. I feel autonomous. So I don't feel like I depend on other people to be able to go, move from point A or point to point B or to be able to feel safe or to be able to take care of myself. Um, I'm connected to the people, places and things around me. That's where I feel at home. Yeah. Are you afraid of getting attached on places or people? Places, not so much, because they don't change as unexpectedly as people, who I would Mm. say I'm a little bit more afraid to get attached to. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. How's that affecting you with your personal relationship with friends and loved ones, I guess? It's getting real deep here, huh? (laughs) Um. I think the way it's affected me stems from the way I grew up. So moving every year to four years. Mm. At first, like I mentioned, it's kind of fun, but it's it's like it's weird. But then after a while, it's like it's really frustrating. But then you, you start to develop coping mechanisms that let you not get too attached to people. So I think that's something that's just followed me after I stopped moving as much. 
So mm. today I'm very open to meeting new people, but I'll be very honest with you. I have, I place very little expectations on my experiences um, just because I don't want to be dis- disappointed. I don't want to attach myself to what I want to happen. I just let things happen and then I see it for what it is. And then when people disappoint me or if people choose to go their own way because I'm not necessarily super attached, it doesn't hurt as much, you know, because like <laughs> it, it is what it is. You know what I'm saying? I got you. That being said, it does make me quite comfortable with isolation. So just being on my own, I'm like, I'm fine because I can count on myself. Like I know what I'm going to do. If I do something that is different I'll talk to myself and be like, what's going on, right? Hmm. But when it's something something outside of me, I have a lot less control. Um, it's definitely something that I want to work on because I do understand that to build deep um, connections with people, I need to have that ability to be attached. Um, would, would probably start with being vulnerable with them and... Yeah, probably expressing some expectations and be coming with expectations that would, you know, <laughs> create that bond. Mm, yeah, that's, that's that's where I'm at. How, a, mm. I was just going to ask you, how has having children affected the way you get it attached to people? Has it? Has it affected me? Yeah, it has affected me, but I actually... I, there's this saying that I heard. It's I believe it's a Polish saying. Grasp all, lose all. What does that mean? So it means the more you grab on something, the more you lose it. It's like grabbing a, a sand. The more you mm. squeeze it, the more it loosens up. So I, yeah, someday they're going to be older and someday they have their own lives. It makes me happy. Yeah, it makes me happy that I did my job. As long as they come back once in a while to hang out with me, I'm cool with that. Yeah. You know? As long as they still, once in a while, give me a call like, hey, dad, let's go for a hike or let's dad, I don't know, let's go for a bike ride. Once in a while, I'm cool. I did my job, you know? Attachment, I'm, I'm always been a guy that once I see my crazy is the same as the other person's crazy, I am 100% loyal. Like, mm. I will go to hell with you. But once you break that trust, bye, bitch. I feel you on that. Oh, man. Hmm. Have you ever given anybody a second chance after they've, they've shown you your true colors? Hmm. Friends wise, yeah, I do. Actually, I know I'm. For, I'm. I always say bye, bitch. But you know, to be honest, I'm weak. I always say it's hard. Eh? It's I hard. Know. You know what they say? I, like, I, I, I hmm. want to be like. You know what is over? And sometimes it really has to be. But other times I'm like, man, we're also just human. You know. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I don't know. I learned it that it's based on nostalgia because awesome. because our brain reminds us the cool things that we did with these people. 
We don't mm. remember the bad part. It's because our brain protects us from that. So every time that person comes back, you don't remember, oh, this guy did something to me. No, you always think, oh, you know what? One day I didn't have money, he gave me money. Or one day I was having a problem with my girlfriend, he was the one that showed up. Yeah. Hmm. It's tough, huh? Oh, trust me, homie. <laughs> it's rough. I had friends that stole money from me and I knew they stole the money. And I still kept them. Well, that's... And have you, till today? Or after a while, you're like, uh, oh. Well, it helps that I moved. <laughs> you know, she immigrated to Canada. That really helps a lot because it cuts you off. However, if they contact me on social media, I still talk to them. I could never say like, no, you're dead to me. It has to be them to cut it off. It has to be them. I could never, I don't know. I guess you can call me magnanimous. But I don't know. I just, like, life is short. Mm. As long as they're not, you know, like doing something, you know, unforgivable. I'll let, I'll let it pass. Like, okay, let's say that the friend of mine that stole my money. Mm-hmm. He was having problems at home. He was having problems personally. And he didn't have money. I didn't have money too, you know. But I understand. That's why he stole the money. He's not, he didn't do it because he's an evil person. He did it because he needed it. True. But wouldn't you wish that he would have just asked you? I wish, but, you know, sometimes money changes people. Mm. You know, especially when people borrow money. I don't, I've heard of this, but I, I haven't really read about if it's really the study that once a person asks money from you, you don't even have to give the, the money, the, the, the item. They, there's something in their brain that automatically thinks that, oh, you're, you think you're better than me. You think you're uh-huh. above me. And it ruins the relationship. That's why whenever I have to, quote-unquote, lend money, I always Mm. say, I'm not lending you my money. I'm giving you the money. Yeah. So if you ever decide to pay it, cool. If you don't pay it, cool too. And do you say, I'm giving you this money, this is the last time I'm giving it to you? Because I've heard some people who are like, when people ask me for money, I'm like, no worries. I'll give you this, but don't come back and ask me for more. No, it's just given. Mm. That will be the last. That's it. Obviously, it depends on the relationship I have with this person, right? If it's family, it's family. We can't say not family. But if it's just like a, a friend, you know, depends on the type of level. I usually say, this is a gift. This is, I'm giving this to you. Mm. You know. Anyways, we're getting too deep. What's going on with the Turn Up Tuesday? Yo, that's a long story. It's a long <laughs> story. I love the thing, man. I yeah. went binge on it. I, if you knew me, my Snapchat days. Mm. Like, so there was a time, it was 2017, 2018. Mm. I was on Snapchat a lot. This is before Instagram stole the story feature. And it was the end of my winter semester. So we're getting into summer and I was studying for exams. I was super tired one evening and 
as any student who's studying but doesn't want to, you start procrastinating. You find anything else that's fun for you to do <laughs> instead of studying. And for me, one of those things was listening to music. So mm. on that evening, I just took out my my phone. I get on Snapchat and I just started sharing songs. Like literally, I'd be like, I'll say a little blurb about why I like a song. Then I play the song and just dance on camera, then play the next song. And mm. for some reason, at the end of that evening, which was a Tuesday, I said, mm. I'll see you next week. I don't know why I said it. I had... When I did it, I wasn't committed to anything. I was just like, I'm just doing this. I'm procrastinating. It's a good time. Let me vibe <laughs> out. And then the next year, I did it again. And I did it again. And I did it again. And it was on Snapchat for two summers back to back. So I'd only do it during the summer. Mm. Once school was back, I was like, guys, bye. <laughs> I'm going to go to school. And as I was doing Turn Up Tuesday on Snapchat, I was also learning a lot more about video. So starting to understand how lighting works, starting to understand that having a specific lens makes the background blurry, things like that. So instead of being on Snapchat, I was like, let's film it with a camera. So I started filming myself and then I did it one edition of just me talking to the camera, the same way I'd always done on Snapchat, but with a camera. So it looked a lot better, but I was only one person, right? And my music taste is limited. And I, I know a lot of artists here in Montreal, I follow a lot of them and I admire their taste. So I was like, hey, what's up? You're trying to come on, turn up Tuesday and, <laughs> and like hang out. And luckily they said yes. And another layer of that is I was doing it alone creatively. So I invited a photographers to do it with me. And that added another layer of texture to the way the story was told. That's that's really it. It's It's a passion project that I committed to doing every summer. And every summer... I would think of how can I make it more immersive? How can I tell their stories in a more interactive manner that still brings forth how music has shaped whoever is on camera's life? And I mean, I didn't do it in 2022 because, you know, some projects you need to let them breathe. <laughs> mm. Just leave them in the closet for a little bit and then maybe you'll come back to it. Maybe you won't. Mm -hmm. I don't know the answer to that question yet, but... That's what Turn Up Tuesday is, a show where myself or other people I invite on share the music that has shaped their lives. I love this idea. This should be a show. I've heard that many times. I've heard no, that many times. It's a great times. idea. You know, there's a podcast. It's called 500 mm -hmm. by Josh no. Adelmeyer. He's a comedian. And it's about the 500, uh, Rolling Stones 500 greatest song of all time. So every time, no, it's an album of all time. Every week, he'll have a person that loves that album, and mm -hmm. they'll talk about it and how it affected their lives. This is like, you know, I like this idea because, you know, you could add a little bit of music. There's, you have artists, they could play their own Ooh. music and how it affected their creative way. I mean, like I said, c'est sur le placard. It's in, it's in the cupboard. That rather, it's in the freezer. It's frozen. Maybe someday I'll take it out and defrost it and be like, okay, let's do it again. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it definitely has a very, very special place in my life because it's opened up so many doors. Just that passion project. Mm -hmm. Through artist, you know, the freezer yeah. thing. Yeah. Oh, one yeah. day I'm going to be there. I'm going to, that, that poem, that story, this, uh, yeah. this idea. Yeah. Someday, I'll come back. Would it? Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes, yes. But it doesn't matter. It really doesn't. As long as you keep creating. 
as long mm. as you keep creating what resonates with you because that's another thing right you you evolve as a person mm. and sometimes things don't fit anymore and that's mm. okay yeah like you said earlier you know with friends the transition this year you're into i don't know jazz next year you'll be afro afro vibe yeah what kind of music do you listen to I listen to a lot of African artists. Mm-hmm. For the past, I would say, 12 months, I've been heavy on Ama Piano, which is a style of music from South Africa. Mm-hmm. I listen to a lot of Nigerian artists. Yeah, it's just African music. I mean, I love them. I used to listen to them a lot. It's very. It's just fun music, you know. Like if yeah. you hear it, you're like, "Yeah, I like this." I Let's- like. Yeah, I love it. And like, I'm not even one of those people who's like, "I love it." And but then I'll go listen to Drake, and I'll go listen. Like I don't listen to those guys. <laughs> <laughs> the only place you catch me listening to Drake is in the gym when my coach mm. plays Drake. Then I'll be like, "Okay, I hear a Drake song." Like Beyonce and all those people, great artists. Don't get me wrong. It's just mm. you won't catch me. Like getting on Spotify, being like, okay, let me listen to them. And mm. y'all don't come for me. It's just my choice. I like African music. That's where it's at for me. Yeah, you you know, that's your taste. That's your taste. You can't be judged for that. You'd be surprised. <laughs> I know. People are close-minded. I remember when I was growing up. And I don't know if it, it... I'm sure it didn't happen in Africa. But when hip-hop was coming out mm-hmm. there was a thing at least in the philippines and here in the west that if you listen to hip-hop you listen to hip-hop if you listen to rock and roll you listen to rock and roll you cannot listen to both i mean people got beat up for it wow yeah but i never liked that idea i love music if you play music and i like it even it's a language i don't understand if i like it i like mm. it i don't care and I, and I originally loved rock and roll because I grew up with it. And then I started listening to hip hop. I'm like, man, I love this shit. It's cool, you know? Yeah. And I remember I used to, I was, I borrowed one of my friend's tape and I was listening to it. I'm like, man, this is cool. It's like new, you know? And one of my cousins passed by and he was a hip hop guy, but mm-hmm. he knows I listen to rock and roll a lot. And he says, what are you listening to hip-hop for? You're a poser. I'm like, I like both. Can I not like both? No, you can't. You see the rock and roll or hip-hop. I'm like, that's dumb. My guy said, turn it off. <laughs> I was like, no. That's intense, though. That's pretty intense where it's like, it's one or the other. You get beat There's up. No like if, you're dre- if you dress up like you baggy short, baggy jeans, yeah. baggy clothes, you go to the mall, you get beat up. Both ways. It was crazy. They used to have posters, propaganda posters. Um, and there was a hip-hop. There was a guy, there was some that poster that says hip-hop means highly insane people with hugely oversized pants. <laughs> okay i see then, that yeah and then there was a there was an image of a person that's dressed up like you know baggy clothes 
everything, and he's crucified. And that's it says the hip hop on the top. Like it's all over the place, you know. Don't dress up like this; you get beat up. It was so <laughs> crazy. It's beautiful to see how music like influences us, huh? Mm. As people, it's 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 like to the point where the culture is you choose one genre and you can't cross over. Mm. If you do, we'll come for you. Like, what are you saying? You know? <laughs> or like now, when you look at platforms like TikTok. It's all sounds, which is like music, right? Mm -hmm. That's what makes you linked to another person's for you page. Like, there's things I can say to my sister, and she knows exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> Or there's songs that we just know the 15 seconds that are viral on TikTok. But mm -hmm. if that artist were to sing in front of me, mm -hmm. I can't sing more than those 15 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> But they're oh. the moment. Like, I, 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 I mess with you hard. <laughs> yeah. I like what you said about TikTok because I was actually just coming home. I was just listening to Koi I don't know this girl's name. She's a hip hop artist. Koi Larry. Ko, Ko, I don't. Know, I'm an old man. Anyways, and I was listening to it. the chorus is banger. I mean, mm -hmm. it's this is a great song. And then it goes to verses. I'm like, this is garbage. Yeah. And then, I, I, like, sorry, like uh, Lizzo's song, one of Lizzo's song, I forgot the title. I'm, I'm not good with titles. It was a great song, and then it goes to verse. I'm like, eh, it's okay. Mm. You think TikTok is influencing this artist, creating them this 15 second of like awesome, and the rest are like okay. Yes, I actually think that the fact that we figured out how to monetize our creativity has changed the way we create. Whether it pertains to music or to videos, it's completely changed everything. Because now the mindset is not, I'm creating something I like, I'm creating something to, to feel better, to let go of certain emotions. The mindset is, I'm creating this so that I can get this number of views, so that I can make this amount of money, <laughs> so I can have this status, right? Mm -hmm. Like music used to just be an expression of yourself and then people who mess with it mess with it mm -hmm. but now it's okay we got to make this viral 15 seconds and the rest of it doesn't matter mm -hmm. and then videos used to just be memories i'm just capturing the memories of me and my family me and my friends me and my kids and we're the only people who are going to watch it and then mm -hmm. it turned into we got to make this content <laughs> And this content has to go viral so we can get the AdSense revenue, so we can get those brand deals. And then that changes the way you capture your life. That changes the way you even live your life because you're living your life for it to be captured, mm. you know? Like, yeah, it's pretty it's pretty intense. And, and what's interesting is that it's not about the full thing that you're creating. It's more so about those first 15 seconds. That It's about those 15 seconds now. Like, I, I was working... Um, In a, in a media company for two years and the way it rewired my perspective on the on telling stories specifically stories that are shared online is drastic because before going to that media company I was all about telling a beautiful story from beginning to end I want every shot to be beautifully lit color graded perfectly once you enter a company where you gotta make your video has to go viral because that's your paycheck mm -hmm. listen 
I don't care about your cinematic shot. <laughs> I need those first 15 seconds to be fire. So when people scroll, they stop scrolling and they keep watching our video till the ad drops at 60 seconds. So after 60 seconds, I didn't value what I was doing as much. Obviously, you still have to care because it's a story, but your mindset is that 15 seconds. You got to get people's attention. I got to get them to stop scrolling. I got to get that ad sense. I got to get that brand deal, you know? Hmm. So that the answer is yes, it has a hundred percent impacted the way we create. Mm -hmm. Speaking of creating, nine sixteen stories. Yes. What made you decide to start your own company? I f was finishing my translation degree, and I knew that's not what I wanted to do. <laughs> <laughs> and I saw Instagram stole steal the story feature from Snapchat. Hmm. And as they stole that feature, everybody was on their phones, which is a 916 screen. Like the ratio of your phone screen is 916, hence the name. Mm -hmm. And then stories was because it started off as I'm going to create Instagram stories for brands and people's mm -hmm. events. Mm -hmm. That's how it started. It's obviously evolved from that. But I would say my... First clients or the people that I went for were big festivals or big events in the city. I literally, <laughs> this is, I, I'm going to tell you a, a little story. <laughs> mm -hmm. So when I started 916, there were particular brands in Montreal that like I saw what they were doing and I was like, you need this. You just don't know that you need it yet. <laughs> and one of those brands in particular is one of the largest event promoters in Montreal. His name is Olivier Primo. Mm -hmm. And he run some of the biggest festivals in Montreal. And the year I launched 916, he launched his newest festival, which is an urban music festival called Metro Metro. Mm. And so they're promoting their festival and like we're new in town. It, it gets about 60,000 people over three days in Montreal. I, I'm sure, maybe you've heard about it. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So he dropped his festival. I don't know these people. They don't know me. I'm some random black girl in Montreal who just started this company who's going to make Instagram stories for people. So I'm in my apartment being like, listen, I need to find a way to get these guys' attention. So I dedicate 48 hours to stripping all of their social media, all of their websites, of all of their branding. So I go on their website, download the images that they put, go into Photoshop, and then like edit them so I could extract like the PNG files and everything. And then I use that to edit stories as though they had hired me. Like if they had hired me, what would I do? I mm. created that. I went on Instagram. I followed him, looked at all his companies, figured out who were the closest people in his company that made decisions and who <laughs> potentially hire me, found their Instagrams. And then I woke up one morning and I posted all the stories that I made and I tagged every single one of them in those stories. And best believe, <laughs> he saw it. <laughs> he sees it, he's like, yo, this is fire. Send an email to this guy. And so I sent an email to this guy. They get me in contact with his marketing director. And so the first edition, I created all the Instagram stories for them. Then COVID happened. Mm. But then last year's edition, I did all the Instagram stories for them. I created all their motion graphic animation custom GIFs. Mm. And then stay tuned for 2023. <laughs> Speaking of crazy, I love it. Yeah, it's it's pretty insane. It's pretty insane. You're devious. 
No, I'm not. I just, I'm, I know exactly what I want. And when I know what I want. <laughs> That's what I mean, you know. We're, we're going to get it. Way. I was like, holy <laughs> crap, she just spent 48 hours planning, following these people, preparing the pitch, and bam, I love it. So creative, so clever. And it wasn't even a pitch. It was just, I made these stories and I tagged them. Hmm. I just made stories. There was no, this is what I do. There was no, hey, this is who I know. I just made the stories hmm. and I tagged them. And that was it. That's amazing. Is that how you got to work with Borna Boy and uh, Wizkid? Indirectly, yes. Mm -hmm. The story is there's more steps before I got to those mm -hmm. those um, events. But the person who I have to say thank you to, his name is Andrew Bakare. Mm -hmm. He is a Montreal-based Afrobeat promoter. So when I first heard of him, it was through African Students Associations at Concordia. Mm -hmm. And... He would throw parties. I didn't know him, but my brother knew him because he, anyways, they were connected through the African Students Association. So I told my brother, like, yo, please just ask Andrew to let me come to one of his concerts. I'll film a video for free. I don't need anything. I just need to film the video. Mm -hmm. And that was a concert of Flavor, who's a Nigerian artist. The video, if I have to watch it today, I can, listen, I can pass out. <laughs> <laughs> the video was very questionable, but I was very proud of what I did. And so he let me film that first concert for free. Mm. And then from there, I would literally like beg promoters, like, please let me just come to your show and film your concert. And luckily, I was practicing enough to get to a level where they would see the work and be like, hey, come back. Mm. And one of those people who said come back was Andrew. And for, I think it was in 2019, I'm very bad with the years, but there was a period of time where we were working very closely together. Essentially, mm. all his social media, I was editing all the videos. When he had concerts, I'd edit all the posters, create the stories. And then when mm. the show would come on, I'd film the, the show, right? Mm. So one of the artists, rather two of the artists that he brought on were Wizkid and Burna Boy. And that's how I was able to shoot those shows. But it's all thanks to, to Andrew that that was possible. Wow. Do you ever catch yourself when you're shooting a video with Burna Boy with Wizkid, which I'm assuming you're a fan of, that you just watch and you forget to take a video? No. <laughs> Focus. We're here. Onila, onila, onila. You have one job and it's to capture every moment. Hmm. Like... There's like, it's, I don't know how to explain it. J'ai la chair de poule tout le long. I mm. have goosebumps the whole time. Like my favorite moment of every show I've shot is the first time the artist walks onto the stage. Because mm. people have been in the room for hours, especially the girls in the front, because it's always the girls in the front who came at like five when the show starts at 10. Mm -hmm. They've been there. They're super fans. Their feet are maybe hairding because they wore heels. <laughs> And when they hear, they call me burner or whatever it is from behind the curtains, mm. that roar of the crowd is, is incomparable. Like it's like, that's my favorite moment of every show. And after that happens, you lock in and your job is to capture every shot until mm. it's done. And then you go home and you edit. <laughs> but, but I'm uh, pretty sure there are times that you miss the shot. How do you forgive yourself when you miss a shot? 
I have many cameras. Hmm. So at first I'd film them alone. And when I was filming it alone, I didn't even know. I didn't even know enough to realize that I missed a shot. <laughs> you know, so I was just like, I'm so happy to be here. And like, <laughs> yay, right? But the more you do it, you're like, wait a minute. I'm one person, right? And I can only get one angle. What happens if there's a second camera, mm. right? So by the time I got to Burnabore Whiz Kid, I had understood that. So I wasn't the only person filming. I'd get other people to have other cameras in different angles. And one angle, I had asked it to be positioned in such a way that nothing is missed. So let's say I don't get the shot. I know that there's a camera angle that's going to get the shot. Hmm. So when you're shooting a concert like that, that big, how many people do you have in your team? The most I've shot with is three people, including myself. Okay. Do you have cameras that are uh, stable that no one's holding? Just you leave it there? Yes, hmm. I've done that, but I wouldn't do that again. <laughs> Why? Just because cameras turn off, you know. <laughs> um, people stand in front of cameras and they don't hmm. know that they're standing in front of a camera. But if there's a human being there, then they can be like, hey, excuse me, don't stand in front of this camera. Or, oh, shit, the battery's dead. <laughs> Change the battery. But when you just leave a camera there, it's literally in God's hands. Mm-hmm. I see that you use videos and music on some of the videos that you post do you ask permission for that i use a lot of copyright free music so okay. i have a subscription to epidemic sound so i pay for the soundtracks that i use hmm. but then if i'm using an artist's music i don't and that's one of the reasons why turn up tuesday is in the freezer <laughs> because copyrights you know mm-hmm Yeah. Okay, now it makes sense. Because I think th you had a video that you use, I think, Roddy Rich music. I said, can you do that? I'm not sure if you can do that. Did you ask for permission? I don't even know. I don't even know who Roddy Rich is, but I probably didn't. I know this guy because of my kids. They listen, they, they're like, Dad, this is cool. Okay, I'll listen to it. Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm an old man. I, I listen to the old music. Actually, They're the one who's like, Dad, listen to, I don't know, Pop Smoke or Juice World, or I'm saying dead rappers. But they're the one who tells me, like, oh, this one's cool, Dad. L listen. Yeah. Now, we shout for them to them first. It's still putting you on. It's important mm. to have people around who be like, this is the new thing. Yeah, no, I, I'm like, I'm open with that. Like I said, I love music. But my one of my proudest moments are when they start listening to the music that I listened to mm. when I was growing up. Like, Eminem, Tupac, you know, Biggie, because and because I don't push them, I don't, I don't say like, hey, you have to listen to this music. This is the best music. I don't do that. Till, thankfully, TikTok will introduce them to it, and they'll start listening to it. Like, and I'm like, whoa! I'll go to their room like, hey, you listening to Biggie? <laughs> like, yeah. How do you know him? Like, ah, this is my music, bro. What do you mean? How do I know him? Biggie's my yeah. boy. Oh. And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, dude. You should listen to this guy. Then I'll, I'll tell him like, oh, you should listen to Tupac or you should listen to Wu Tang. Mm -hmm. Like, why well, they're good? I said, just listen, you'll see. And I and I love when they will watch a movie when they played Nas's Illmatic mm -hmm. masterpiece. And my youngest, he's like, Dad, this is good music. I say, oh, I know. I know, bro. <laughs> But I never tell them. I never push them. Yeah. 
That's good. I like that you don't push them. And so they discover things on their own. And then mm. when they're going in a direction you want them to, you're like, okay. How mm. old are they, by the way? The eldest is, of course, I'm going to forget. Jesus Christ, bro. Math. 16. Turning 16. Mm-hmm. And then the youngest is turning 12. Oh, they're, you, you have friends. They're not babies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're, they're cool. They're, they're good kids. I, I enjoy being with them. They're fun. They're fun to be with, you know. But, yeah, just... Also, when they start listening to to certain music, that's when I start to create a playlist. And then mm. I tell them, like, okay, this guy is important because of this. And then because of he did that, this artist created this album. Mm-hmm. You know, let's say, you know, I know he's controversial right now, but easy. <laughs> you know, without him, he's kind of started the mumble rap. Unfortunately, okay, mumble rap came out, and then uh, the trap music, mm, and all yeah. this rapper that called Lil Baby Lil What, that's from Lil Wayne. You know, yeah. it makes them appreciate the music more. That's what I'm looking for. You know, I want them to understand and appreciate music, not just to listen. Actually, like, mm. whoa, this is cool because of this and that and this. Yeah. Going back to your 916 stories, have you ever had a client that said to you, this has to go viral? No, <laughs> not that I remember. Because that's also not some, that's not how I position myself. Mm. I think if I ever claim to be someone who's capable of making people go viral, then yes, they'd be like, so, <laughs> I <I'm> funny. <laughs> We make this go viral. That's <laughs> something I, I I I do. So no, that I've never had a client. Mm-hmm. But have you had a difficult client to deal with, and how did you deal with that? They're not my client anymore. Hmm. But how I deal with difficult client experiences is when it I realize it's going to be difficult. I know that the end of whatever project we're working on is the last project we'll be working on. <laughs> Um, but I'll get it done. And you, the hmm. client may never know that I didn't enjoy the experience. Hmm. It's just that the next time they'll come around, just not available. And I'll always have a list of people that I'm more than happy to recommend them to. But me, I'm not sure. Hmm. My team and I are not the people for you. Has it ever happened that the project is done? Cool. Everything's ready to go. But the client is not happy. How how do you deal with that? Do you go back and edit it to their to their liking, or you just like, nope, this is it, that's it. No, I, I go back and edit it. It's mm. important for me that we create something that we both like, and we're both happy with. That's what that's why they came to me. They're like, yo, I have a story to tell, mm. and I need to use video to do it, and I don't know how to, but I trust you to do it. So if we create something like this, is not my story. I'm going to do it again till we get it right. Within reason, of course, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. But it's important for me to create things that are true to their story. Mm. What does 916 Stories offer that the other companies does not offer? I don't have an answer for you about that right mm. now. I'm thinking about that actively. 
But today, we're a video production company that specializes in short-form content, which a lot of other people are doing. Um, what makes us completely different? Stay tuned. <laughs> I saw that you shot a video with DJ Caraba in the Montreal Biosphere. Yeah. Who thought of that idea and how did the logistic happen? Um, it was Hyder. She was the one who wanted to shoot in the biosphere. Hmm. She booked the space. The logistics was hectic. Because <laughs> <laughs> as you can imagine, the biosphere is not just going to like let you be there for 24 hours and play around and do what you want. Like, no, you have a specific number of hours. So every stage of production was extremely important. And all productions start with pre-production, which is essentially planning, mm. figuring out what's the story we're telling and then how do we tell that story um, in terms of what are we shooting, what do we need in each of those shots, and who are the people who are going to make each of those shots possible. So planning was the number one thing, um, <laughs> down to the to how we're going to position the lights, um, who's going to do what at what time when we get on set. And then, of course, you go into production, which is the day of the shoot. It's important to get there on time, um, have people who know what they're doing and they're good at what they're doing. So one mm. of the shots we have is on the floor of the shot, the platform of the biosphere itself. We had mm. tube lights on the floor in the form of like an, an inverted square. Mm. So Gabriel, who was a DOP on this, and I, we planned, we're like, this is what we want to do, right? But neither one of us is really into geometry. <laughs> and the way we planned it out, I was in charge of setting up all the lighting indoors. And he was in charge of doing it outdoors with two other guys that I hired to help us, Jean-Philippe Emile and K. Mm. Thankfully, Jean-Philippe Emile is A1 at like the meticulous things. So maths and calculating like angles and things like that. So I believe what they did is they took a drone and they put it in the air. And then they were able to, like, make sure that the lights were on the floor, like, in a symmetrical manner. It, it was it was a very interesting project. Another thing is, with spaces like that in Montreal, let me take a step back. One of the things that Kahaba really wanted was to have drone shots in her video, right? Now, when it comes to drones, there's certain regulations around what kind of a drone can you fly? Where can you fly, fly said drone? With the biosphere, they allow you to fly drones, but you need to have permits for certain types of drones. So we had about 10 days to plan this, by the way, or less. It was it was rushed. Anyway, all I know is it was rushed. And as soon as we we're done filming it, she had to fly out. So there was no fumbling the bag and let's go back tomorrow and fix it. No, it was Whoa. like we have to get it right. So two days before the shoot, I still didn't have a drone pilot. Because all the people who had to fly the drones were above our budget. Because basically, <laughs> I mean, anyways, the people to find someone, it was very hectic. And to be able to fly the, the drone at the biosphere, we had to send them a map before shooting it. And the security had to approve it. So letting them know what's the radius in which we're going to be flying and how high are we going to go. Now, I didn't own a drone at that time. I had never flown a drone in my life. And the DOP who I was working with, I was lucky enough that he kind of, he agreed to come on this project, understanding that 
he wasn't going to get paid his full like his full rate on of, of things that he usually gets mm-hmm. as jobs. So though he was working with me, I also didn't want to overstep and be like, yo, we need to do this and this and this. So I had to figure out how do I get a drone map without owning a drone, <laughs> send it to the biosphere. And then once I send it to the biosphere, I need to actually get a drone because mm-hmm. I have a DJ who expects to have drone shots. <laughs> so 24 hours before the shoot, I figure out that if you have a drone that's under 250 grams, you don't need a permit. Mm. So I go to Best Buy, I buy a drone. <laughs> and then one of the people on the team that I hired, Jean-Philippe Emile, he's a drone operator. MVP. So I like, Listen, I said, JP, when it's time to film the drone, to, to fly the drone, I'm going to hand it over to you <laughs> and you'll do your thing. And no that's pressure. how we pulled it off. No, no pressure, no pressure <laughs> at all. But that's how we pulled it off. And for the map, I just like went on Google. And I was like, how do you create a, like a, I can't remember what they're called, but a map of a drone. And I just like drew out what I believe would be as far as we need to go and as high as we need to go. And I sent it to them and they approved it. And we got the shots, but hectic, very, very hectic. You seem to be good at high pressured situation. I am. Where do you attribute that to? Oh, I really don't. Um, Maybe I just procrastinated so much in my life <laughs> that I've learned, okay, pressure, pressure mm. is getting worse. <laughs> we got to figure out like ways to, to get around this. But maybe it goes back to my childhood, always being in environments where I have to think fast, mm. adapt very quickly, whether it's learn a new language, make new friends, read the room and figure out, okay, who has the power here and how do I position myself in relation to that person? Mm. Maybe it, that has trickled down and also my ability to solve problems very quickly in general, but also specifically when it comes to production, because there's problems all the time. Batteries die. People don't show up. I shot a show, (laughs) which is coming out very soon, um, where the day of us shooting the show, two of the people who were supposed to shoot dropped out. Holy, where's (laughs) Jean-Philippe? He was there. He was there. It's a cooking show, mm. and two out of the three chefs dropped out. Barrow. Listen, and this is the. I hear this. It was less than three hours before we start. We're supposed to start shooting. Like I get a message. Yeah, by the way, it's looking hectic. <laughs> Jean Philip, jump in front of the camera. Cook. No, no, no. He's not a chef. He can't. We needed a chef. The concept is we need people who know how to cook. They need to cook a meal on well, camera. This guy you seems to be knowing everything. You, you can't. You can't fry eggs. Listen, that day JP had another job. He was moving behind <laughs> the scenes, so he couldn't cook too. But I, what what did we do? Oh, I get on Photoshop. I created like a an ad, like an Instagram story, being like looking for a chef. <laughs> On this day, at this time, I posted on the 916 Stories page because we're producing it on my personal page. And the person with who I was doing it, the person who created the show concept, Stephanie Daher, I'm like, you post this too. And luckily, I'm blessed to have people in my network who saw it and were like, also reshared it. And we found one chef. So the show is going to come out and you'll see there's two people on camera, but hectic, very hectic. <laughs> How many hours did you have before you find the chef? And shoot. It was like three hours. Three hours and you have to find someone? I don't recommend that for anybody. 
anybody. Like, it's not the way things should be. <laughs> no one should have to go through that. But the thing is, when you've invested, you've rented a space, mm. you've bought a bunch of food, you've hired a crew that have given you their time, you have to move on. The show has to go on. And you have a chef who's confirmed. So What if you didn't get a chef? What would have you done? I don't know. Jean-Philippe, I'm telling you. <laughs> JP, you're now a chef. <laughs> Jump in front. I don't know how to cook. Figure it out. If you can fly a drone and make a shape. Listen, can you make an egg? <laughs> you're making put, an egg today. <laughs> put some parsley. Put some greens. I don't know. Do something. Yeah, yeah. The show is called Feed the Soul. Oh, it's a concept it. by Stephanie Daher. It's mm. um, I don't know. I like... I'm someone who's also a perfectionist to a certain extent. I'm I'm starting to I'm trying to let go of that. <laughs> oh, I know. I'm trying to let go of that. Before we re- before we record, you move the box behind you that no one cares anyway. I care. <laughs> I know. That's and why. And what's interesting, I have a light that's not on and the whole time I'm like, oh, it's okay. So, Feed the Soul is one of those projects where It's taken so long for me to be comfortable putting it out because I've had to make peace with it not being what we had planned, you know? Mm. I guess there are parts of my life where I do have expectations for myself to put out a certain quality of work, but it's going to come out. We're going to put it out there because it just needs to go out. Just need to edit it, post it, move on, move on. And you're still holding on. It'll come out. (laughs) (laughs) We have a date, February 15th. It's got to come out. It's got to come out. <laughs> Look at you, you're looking away. <laughs> it, it has to come out. Like I said, grasp all, lose all. That, listen, oh, man. I'm going to let go. Got to let go. And let go and let God. That's right. Yeah. Listen, Afwali, this is such a great conversation. Unfortunately, we're at the time. Before we close out, do you have anything you'd like to share or impart? Share your stories. And it doesn't even have to be like online. Whether it's with your friends, with your family, or just with your computer, take the time to record the moments in your life, good and bad, and tell your story. Because you have a bold story and... It's important for us to, for you to own that story and just share it. Because someday you won't be here anymore. And there's an artist in Montreal, their name is Glozy. They say we're all ancestors in the making, right? Mm. And as I mentioned, the things we call content today, at the end of the day, it's really just memories, right? But because of all this pressure of I got to make content, it's got to go viral. So many of us are like, I can't, I can't make these cool videos. Forget the cool videos. You're just telling your story. You're just capturing this memory. So if mm. I can leave you with anything, share your story. Beautiful. Wise word from a wise woman. Again, Afali, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Have a good night. Bye. Again, Afali, thank you for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, listeners, for listening. This is Erin Del Yosa for An Immigrant's Life. I'll see you guys later.